I think too, it's learning what you have the hardest time asking for help in because I don't have a hard time asking for help with input. So mentorship has been easy for me, but asking for help in implementation has been really hard. I have this messaging like no one will ever help me. I've got to do it on my own. It's all on me. And it's like, no, I've had to work through that mindset. And sometimes it's been brutal to ask for help. But when you practice, like just like we talked about earlier, it's like a muscle that grows and it becomes easier to let people in over time, but it is vulnerable feeling. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure, as always, to have you listening in. To set the scene, I suppose, for a bit of this intro, it is a late Sunday night. I've been working at Two Hands Serving for the past couple days, and I am utterly exhausted. But you know how just like having that one kind of cozy, sacred space in your home can make all the difference? Well, if you guys follow on Instagram, you probably know it's my like living room, balcony, sunroom area where I do like my work, content creation, all that stuff. It has beautiful lighting and it's just so cozy right now because I have these string lights up around my balcony doors. They're like glass bulbs. I have my wood desk. I have all my plants, these beautiful flowers that a friend sent me. I have a nice cozy lamp and I'm feeling so peaceful, so calm, so ready to crank out some work. Um, actually, funny side story. I was just describing how much of a cozy, peaceful scene this is. The other day, those cute little glass bulb lights that I hung up around my doors, well, they're perfectly okay, except for the fact that I was in a hurry and I was bringing my patio cushions in because it was getting stormy and they were blowing everywhere and I was running late to work. So I come in the door and I wing the cushions over into the corner behind my mirror and I hear pop. Like it was much louder much more pronounced and here one of the freaking glass bulbs had just like popped broke and so I was kind of running late so I just kind of left it <laughs> and I came home and there was like glass on my carpet and I was like oh my god you can't do that so I picked it up funny story done but it just goes to show that for every peaceful calm moment there's always the turmoil too but either way I hope y'all are having a good day good evening whenever you're listening to this wherever you are For me personally, it's been quite hectic, very stressful, way other way around, very hectic, quite stressful (laughs) the last few weeks here um, between the new year and getting COVID. And so I'm trying to get back into a normal-ish routine, but we all know how that goes. Just remaining grateful throughout it all for my health, having multiple, you know, work opportunities and just all the support and love and feel good energy of this community and of my in-person people and community too so yeah that's just where I'm at you know it's funny because during that quarantine time when I had COVID uh, I really was afraid of how I would react or respond you know just being alone and isolated and out of work which is what makes me feel worthy something I'm working on anywho what I actually found though was so much peace and just tranquility because it was just me 
on my own time. I didn't have, I couldn't go anywhere. And it was just like, I just had such a settled mind. But then going back to normal-ish life, it's just been like one big spastic overwhelm of my mind and of everything because there's just so many, like I just made me realize how many little things pull at us each day, right? And so I'm, and stress us out and causes anxiety. And so I'm trying to kind of find my way back to that peace and tranquility a bit. I know it's not going to be, you know, happening too, too much with how much of a hectic life I live and so many of you as well. But I do want to get back to a semi-state of like that. Timber's looking in the balcony and I think balcony doors and I think he just scared himself. Uh, anyway, back to the, back to the real intro. Um, where was I going? Oh yeah. So how I'm going back to that a bit more stable, settled mindset is really working to prioritize, right? Because that's what I did during the quarantine. I was prioritizing my health, slowing down, what work needed to be done because I had nothing else to do or nowhere else to go. So I'm trying to now go back into prioritizing, especially this podcast, my work overall, my wellness, friendships, relationships, all that fun stuff. And I'm prioritizing it out in my mind. And I think that is going to make the biggest impact and ultimately help me the most in finding that state again. And what's neat is that today's guest, Kelsey Chapman, is here to talk about what I think is almost a form of prioritizing just in a different aspect, I suppose. So she does a lot of work in the sense of mentorship, right? And overall, just like personal growth, self-development. But what we're talking about today is a lot about mentorship. And I think for many, this word you just think of like the big paid people, right? Like you pay thousands of dollars and these people are your mentor for whatever it is. And while that is mentors and the mentorship and those can be mentors and can help you a lot, there are so many other ways that mentorship shows up in your life. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So what I always think about in this sense is, right, uh, for instance, my friend Casey, whom I also work for as a virtual assistant, brand management type, I have found her to be such a great mentor, even though she's not in that mindset. She's not doing anything to be a mentor, really, but just working side by side with someone that I value so much of her work skills and her, there's like work ethic and her efficiency and how she stands firm in her rates and her, you know, content and all these things, right? So there's one mentor that isn't even official. Another one, I have a good friend, Rachel, a childhood friend of mine, and I value our friendship so much and I started to pick up on how much of a, how, how great of a friend she is, not to me, but to everyone, right? And I started to see all these ways that I feel I could be a better friend to all my friends if I just did things like a bit more like her or thought in a way, more similar to her. And so she became a mentor of mine without even knowing. She still doesn't know. Maybe she'll listen to this, maybe she won't. But she's been a mentor of mine in the realm of friendship. And then even something like Instagram accounts, like Gabby Mail and Olivia Nosita of All of Eats, like there are just so many ways that you can find mentors in your everyday life. And so that's what Kelsey and I really talk about today. And this can help you all along your journey. Kelsey actually just released a book. It'll be out in February called What They Taught Me. And it's about how these women in her life, whether they knew it or not, really helped her become who she is today and fulfill this dream present reality that she has because they just gave her the insight and the guidance and everything that they had went through so that she too could succeed in her own way. 
And so how this could relate to you is that if you're in college, uh, leaving college, if you're in high school, or if you're in the workforce already, you might want some guidance or advice on the next step, right? Or what to do after. Or maybe you're looking for the advice and the guidance for stronger friendships or relationships overall. Maybe you need some help when it comes to setting boundaries or when it comes to mental health or emotional health. Maybe you need a mentor for your side hustle, your side passion, or your business. There are so many ways that we could benefit from mentorship or mentors in general. And so that's what I really want this convo to drive home. And so if this resonates, if it's something that you're really interested in, you can check out her book, What They Taught Me, and dive into this all so much deeper. You can connect with her at Kells Chapman on Instagram and at her website linked below, where you can also pre-order the book or order the book, depending on when you listen to this. And let us know what you thought. You can share it on Instagram, tag us. I'm on there at Emily Feichels. Everything will be linked below. We would love to connect and hear your thoughts. And as always, if you have just a minute of spare time and you could leave a rate and review for the podcast, that would mean so much. It helps support the show. It makes me smile. And I'm going to start doing a bit more, whether it comes to giveaways, reading reviews, etc. Just to share a bit of the community love. So without further ado, let's begin. I'm excited to listen to your most recent episode with the person you interviewed on OCD because I realized I had OCD this year. And okay. so mm-hmm. I'm so excited to listen to that. I mean, happy to share yeah. about it. It's not the not the fun organize your house kind of OCD. It's the, yeah. the bad OCD. Well, uh-huh. like I I guess before talking with her, I didn't even realize like the extent to which it can go, right? Because it, it's one of those terms that so many of us um, throw around like myself included, because I I think it's easy to have OCD like tendencies, but we did discuss in the episode, the difference between actual diagnoses Mm -hmm. and just, you know, the throw around term just so many of us use. Yeah. Whether that's with, yeah, you know, eating disorders, OCD, anxiety, everything. And, you know, nothing wrong with that, but yeah, it's, it wasn't until I spoke with her that I realized like the extent to which it can go so well yeah and I didn't realize that's what it was because all I knew OCD was was organized like mm-hmm. you know not not organizing but like the stereotypes of just like being really particular and I'm actually I can be particular but I'm actually pretty free-spirited but I didn't know like my 45 minute ritual of feeling every wall of my house when I was you know 16 mm-hmm. before I went to bed was OCD. I thought that was just a weird quirk, but like, I felt like it was a obsession that I had to compulsively do before I could go to sleep, you know? And so I just had only ever had a grid for the stereotypes. And then once I learned about it, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. And I think like, even though it can be hard to, you know, like find what, you know, when it comes to different diagnoses, whether it's with mental health, physical health, et cetera, like a, it's, it's a lot to take on. It can seem heavy at times, but also I feel like knowing is always better. And I just talked with someone, same thing. She just found out this year, she has ADHD. And we were talking about how looking back, there were so many like indicators of it, but, but when you're growing up, like there are so many odd little quirks that we all have. And so it's like, of course, you're not picking up on these things, but like, also, you know, like how could have things been different if you had known at that time? And so, yeah, it's just, I can only imagine. As an adult, it helped me set more firm boundaries. Like if I create this ritual, I'm going to do it because it feels like I'm dying if I don't do it. So like 
the only option is to force myself to stop or else this will exist for the next 10 years, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like for me, my OCD channeled into like star student behavior, like completing my to-do list at work, like just working 24 hours a day and feeling like I'd die if I couldn't complete my list, which looks like really good. You look like a work super, a productivity superstar, but it's like, no, like actually the to-do list will never end. And my obsession with it will never end. If I just don't set boundaries, like this yeah. is how wired, you know? And so it, it was fascinating to learn. Like, I know we can be averse to like over labeling in our culture, but it was helpful, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, if you're up for it, like just to dive in here, how has like setting those boundaries, you know, whether that's in regards to OCD or just boundaries in general, like how has that helped you when it comes to work life balance in a sense? Because I think boundaries are right. Like they, there's something we hear talked about all the time, but like to actually set them actually follow through, like it's, it's hard it is it's very hard. And so I always love to hear just people's experience with it, whether successful or not, like it's, it's how we kind of grow from that too. Yeah. Well, I laugh because, um, you know, I probably didn't implement a boundary in my life till I was 29. So two years ago, maybe 30. <laughs> and so I've been a pretty unboundaried person in my life. And I thought that was nice. You know, I thought I was being nice by being open, but really what ended up happening is I became way too stretched then by overcommitting, being unboundaried, giving everyone un tethered access into my life um you know it's not sustainable so then I became resentful that I was so stretched then and not fun to be around and it's like I I had this idea of being unboundary to be nice but then I was all of a sudden not nice because I was maxed out all the time and it just was this it's like oh this is of course the logical end game of being unboundary but it took me learning the hard way and so I think I've slowly but surely implemented boundaries and saying, no, I'm, I'm also just like a yes girl. You know, I'm not a no girl. I'm like, yes, yes, more, more is better, but I'm learning more is not better. Cause it doesn't too much of a good thing is not a good thing. It makes you feel overloaded and, um, it won't allow you to carry your dreams and your visions with longevity and sustainability. And I'm in this for the long haul. So I think that's the upside of setting boundaries as I felt the energy to keep going because all of a sudden I have margin versus no margin. Mm-hmm. You know, on that note, I think what I've realized with my lack of boundaries and tendency to say yes to, you know, everything and seize the moment, seize the opportunity is a deep rooted scarcity mindset, whether that's around money, work, opportunities, you know, just like beliefs in general. And what was happening was that, yeah, I was like afraid if I don't say yes to this, or if I set this boundary up with this person, right? Like it's, I'm not going to get that that reward or that compensation, whatever it is in my mind. And so I think that was like a big thing for me, especially with work is understanding where my scarcity fears lie. So that way I could, you know, work to like build those beliefs and reassurances for myself, right. Of being able to set the boundary or say no, or, you know, say not now at least, right? Like it's, it's hard, but it's kind of neat oh my at gosh. times. Yeah. I'd say I started very slowly, but surely implementing boundaries in my personal life before I did it in my work life. And I really only got to it in my work life, like in the last nine months. And I, I really learned 
the brutal way of bypassing my gut, taking on a client out of a lack mindset. And every freelancer has this story, but I literally feel like my, my story just had to be so extreme (laughs) for me to listen and to like actually honor that moving forward. Like I will never bypass my gut out of a lack mindset again, but I was afraid like, well, this is a good opportunity and she wants it now. And she's fawning over me and telling me she can't do it without me. And I'm really maxed out, but I can take it on. I can do, I can help her. And she can't do it without me. I don't know anyone I can connect her with. And it'd be really good money. Like it was a mix of all the things. It wasn't just lack around money. It was lack around like, well, she won't have the support she needs. And she really likes me and it'd be, I don't want to disappoint her. Like it was lack in so many areas. And I mean, it was like a two month delayed project, a four week back and forth basically kind of being pigeonholed into do one more task for me before I pay you do one more task for me before I pay you. Oh, even though this is outside of the scope of our project, I'm going to make you do one more task for me before I pay you. And it's like, well, this is thousands of dollars. So like, I want my payment never again. Will I bypass my gut instinct? Like that was a huge lesson for me. Cause I knew, I knew in the initial conversation, this might not be right, but I did it anyways. Mm-hmm. Oh, and how many of us do that just so many times, right? Like it can be in work, it can be in relationships, uh, in, you know, our own personal mindset, et cetera, where it's like, we have that like inner knowledge, we have like the gut feelings and yet it can be so easy to just look past that because of almost like these societal standards of what we should listen to more, right? So it's like opting for the choice that brings the money or the work or the opportunity or, you know, the outside like presence of it versus listening to that like inward kind of like nudging the, the gut, mm-hmm. the gut feeling. And I guess just like, has there been anything that you've helped, you've realized over the years has like helped strengthen that gut feeling of like learning to trust it in a sense? I think they always, I love the phrase hindsight is twenty twenty, and you know, you don't always have a clear vision of what's next, but you do, you can look back and be like, oh yeah, I had a gut inkling. That's what that is. And I should have honored that, you know? And so I think it's like, even if you're setting expectations for a new season, it's always helpful to look back and see when we're missed expectations, because that will sometimes give you a better indicator of what that looks like. And so for me, what are moments where I thought I might knew, but I kind of ignored it because it wasn't nice or it felt a little harsh, or maybe I thought I was being judgmental. That's a big one. I tend to think I'm being judgmental of someone when I am getting a weird gut feeling about them. I'm like, don't be judgmental, be accepting. And then it's like, oh, six months down the road, I wasn't totally crazy. This is off. Something's wrong. So I think I've learned with that happening enough to be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to trust myself because I'm not, overall, I'm not mean or judgmental. I'm probably too unboundaried and think everyone's awesome when they're not. And so, you know, I, I've learned to honor that basically through screwing up and through looking back and remembering that I have that little check and next time I'll listen to that little check just a little more and hopefully I'll get to a place where I can totally honor it 
and avoid pain to begin with. <laughs> oh, that resonates. I, especially when it comes to me with like friendships or, or work up, you know, right. Like people I invite on the podcast, people I connect with uh, via like my platforms. Uh, there have been so many times where I'm like, I, I have that gut feeling. I have that suspicion, but I'm like, no, I'm just being judgmental. Right. Like give them a chance, you know, like you have your moments like that, whatever it is. And it's like, but then time and time again, like when you get screwed over by people or by things or by events, it's like, I, th- I think it is, it's almost like a muscle that you flex or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you learn just time and time again. And eventually, yeah, I think like you get closer and closer to just being able to like, actually like honor it from the get-go. I, yeah, I agree. I like that illustration. It's like a muscle, like it grows over time as you practice. And like, if you're not used to listening to gut instincts or leaning into your intuition, or if you're not naturally an intuitive person, I mean, if you even look at the Myers-Briggs, like half of people are intuitive and half are sensory, like some people that's not natural, but if you practice it, it will grow. And so I think that's something we can all grow in some more than others, including me. Yes. Oh, hundred percent. It, yeah, it takes time and patience for ourselves. Um, Now, and like when it comes to, you know, we've been discussing here different like opportunities or events or things that have come up in your life, like where do you feel like the, like the transformative years of your life began, right? Like we're always evolving. We're always growing. We're always transforming. But like, when do you feel like things started to really shift for you? Like you started to really come into your own and maybe that was you started to write, like find your way in work and business, or you started to find your way in like the personal growth side of things. Like when were those years for you that time? Like just as you know, I, it's not a specific moment, but it can be like a time frame where things just really start to shift and happen. And it can feel odd. It can feel scary. You can try to like distract from it. And I think reflecting stories of our own stories of others can be such like a highlighter for others of like, this is normal. It happens. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it feels scary, but like it's, it happens, right? It's part of the evolution of life. So like, when was that time frame for you? What was it like? I suppose. I'd say for me, it's like a five-year stretch between 25 and 30. It was like being refined by fire. <laughs> um, and every day I have, I have this mentor in my life, Catherine, who I wrote about in my book of just telling her like, Catherine, I feel like I'm staying, standing on the edge of a cliff and about to jump, not, not like suicidal jump, like take the leap jump. Yeah. Um, and it just felt like I'm on the precipice of something in the, in my season of becoming. And so, uh, I felt like for the first 25 years of my life, I colored inside the lines. I, you know, I had big adventures, you know, I went and lived in Peru for three months and Mozambique for three months, but I was this A plus student, did everything in a linear format the right way. And then I kind of got out of college with two liberal arts degrees that couldn't get me anything and was like, what am I doing with my life? What do I want? And I've always colored inside the lines. I think the older I get, the more I realize how insecure I felt um, in my teenage and early college years, not just like in comparison to my friends, I just didn't feel steady or stable. I didn't have a lot of that stability in my life. And so I started doing some identity work 
in probably the 23 to 24 range of like, who am I? What do I want? Even if it looks different, even if it means I go get a job as a barista for a season with my college degrees and find myself while I serve people I went to college and high school with coffee, you know? And so I started coloring outside the lines a little. And then I started this online journey um, with my business and I didn't know what I was doing. And then trying to explain that to my friends who had traditional jobs, I felt like so vulnerable. Like they probably think I'm poor and living on someone's couch, which is fine if that happened, but it felt uncomfortable to be misunderstood of like, no, this is like, this is a real job. It's paying my bills. I promise, but you don't want to over justify yourself. Like it's, it's awkward. And so just those early years, like of just getting started were really uncomfortable. But once I got comfortable with like coloring outside of the lines, I realized I was growing into someone that I liked who I was becoming. And I started to step into being different and doing things differently than someone else with confidence. Um, And so that has been a very long journey of building that confidence, owning who I am. Um, and sometimes just having a track record where friends stop wondering if you have a real job because you paid your bills for five years, you know, like, okay, something's working out for, her. I don't really know what she does, but she seems to pay her bills and have a roof over her head. And so I think for me, the last five years have been really formative in the sense of I always wanted a seat at someone else's table and then I finally got a seat at the table and was like no thank you I think I'm going to build my own instead and so and that whole concept is I do not mean to rob that of Shirley Tishel who said you know if you don't have a seat at the table bring a folding chair I you know just adapted that and said I think I'll build my own because sometimes I don't want to be at that table And so that has really been the biggest formative season of my life because I had so many formative seasons because of other people's voices in my life. I love input. I love mentorship. I love guidance. But these last five years have been more internal work of like, who am I? Who do I want to be? And do I like who I'm growing into? Because I have a choice here. I really love that term coloring outside the lines and going off of what you just said there, where it's like, I feel for so many of us, we have this, almost like this story we tell ourselves, or it's like this preconceived map or journey that we see for our lives, right? Like I say a lot of people, you could ask them in those like young years and college and such, like, what are your next few years look like? And while they can't say everything though, but like we have these almost like staple moments in life that we just like expect ourselves to follow and go through. Right. And it's like, we pick our path in college and we're kind of like, that's our path, right? Like that's where we're going. And when you can have these breakthrough moments of like, I don't, I want to color outside the lines. Right. Or like, I don't want to follow this path or I don't want to just like stay in this little like bubble or box anymore. And you start to break out of it. Like it is so it can have a lot to go with it because as you said, I'm a server myself. I have for the past like two, three years had my ups and downs when it comes to working for myself, serving on the side, like doing all these things. And as you said, it's almost like after a while, people do start to think like, oh, she must have it together because she's still going <laughs> and now she's moved. So she must really be okay. And it's like, yes, I am. Like it, it can feel like a lot to do things that are outside of the 
standards of normalcy, right? Or like these things that society tells us is definitely good, definitely like the right path to go on. And it can be a lot to forge your own way. But there is, you know, if it's something that you're craving, if it's something that you feel deeply is like the path for you, like go for it. And I think what you said there, I wanted to touch on because I know this is what your book is about. And I think it's such a critical piece um, is the idea of mentorship and just the different ways we can find it, right? Because I think when you say that term mentor, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of thoughts, right? Of like these mastermind programs and all these things you have to invest in. And it's like a high level thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like I remember in the beginning saying to a friend, like someday I'd love to work with a mentor, like someday, right? It was like, I wasn't identifying what I want us to talk about here, which is how mentorship can be in so many aspects of life. But besides that, like, I guess if you're up for it, like, let's just discuss that idea of mentorship and how it can show up in our lives in so many different ways to help us through these transformative moments and timeframes that come up. Yeah. I love mentorship and I love women investing in women and hear me out. Like I know the idea of mentorship is not like the sexiest topic to talk about, but it's, It is so powerful and so underrated because mentors help you shortcut the distance to your success. So if they walk the long, hard road of whatever journey, whatever life lesson they needed to learn, then tell me that lesson. Hopefully I can just avoid it. You know, hopefully I can listen. Sometimes I still have to learn for myself and that's life. But if I can avoid something that would derail me for three years in my business and send me down a road, I probably shouldn't be exploring because it's a waste of time or a waste of energy or too much money. They can just tell me that. And I can say, cool, thanks for the input. I can avoid that. And so I love mentorship because it really enforces the idea that we go further together when we share what we know. And I think women have been pitted against each other and it's getting better. I think our generation is doing a really good job, probably because we're, you know, a few decades down the ladder of, you know, women having a place at the table. And so at first when there was maybe only one place that was more competitive and then there were three places and still a bit competitive, but now there's a lot more room for us. So we have a lot more opportunity to not be pitted against each other. And, um, I think it still happens, but I, I choose to find women in my life who will rally and not compete. And so, I think my mentors have allowed me to stand on their shoulders to break through whatever glass ceiling they face. And if I can allow a woman to stand on my shoulders to go further than I did, what a win. And I just love the women who have invested in me. And here's the deal. I did not expect my mentor to be Oprah. Like Oprah does not have time for me. And so I wish she did. That'd be awesome. Oprah, if you're out there, let's touch base. But my mentors were ordinary women that were mostly in my life. Now, when I got into the online business space, um, found Amber through a cold Facebook ad, I was a total cold audience. But for the most part, I just looked around me and said, okay, she's crushing in one area of life. I don't expect her to have it all figured out or to be famous. (laughs) I just expect her to be doing, you know, relationships well, or, you know, her faith journey well, or her business well, one facet, I don't do everything well in life. So how could I put that on someone else? But if I can learn from that one area, great. And so mentorship has been so special to me because these women have given me kind of a holistic approach of advice by, you know, Kay really 
fills in that area of my life of like, she gets my story. She's walked through the exact same type of pain and heartache I have and carved away through the maze and given me the roadmap. And then Harriet really modeled what it looked like to have a connected marriage and children and friendship. Like she really did all three well. Lucy modeled having a family and a career and not choosing one over the other. And so I I looked at each of these women to model something for me and together they've all they've given me a roadmap. And so I'm so forever grateful. I could just ramble all day about mentors. No, I love it. And I think it is like there's so much untapped power and potential in the idea of mentorship, right? And I think just even opening our eyes to it. And what I love is that, you know, and even when I was reading just like the beginnings of your book, like this idea that, yes, there are moments when you're going to invest in a mentor that's going to teach you like a very specific, you know, trade or task or lesson, whatever it is. And then there are these people in our everyday lives that can be our mentors as well. And it's like, how can we just like open our eyes to that and start to like notice, right? Like I, I think it's a it's a facet of awareness where I've in the past year found these people in my everyday life. And, you know, it's not like I'm paying them. And it's totally. sometimes they don't even know that they're a mentor to me. But what I do is, as you said, like, I'm like, I value how they just like, how they do friendships so much. And so it's like, I start to pick up on like, how do they make me feel as a friend? How are they treating their other friends? Like, how are they walking through life? Um, there's people that, you know, I work with and I, I value different aspects of their, their career and their things. And it's like, I just start to watch and I start to be aware. And I almost like try to soak in whatever I can from them. And, you know, I just love to hear like in that retrospect, like what's, I guess if you could share like a tidbit, like a, a bit of mentorship that you experienced that just like really set forth, you know, like a bit of transformation or a bit of growth in your life. Um, you share so many like amazing references in the book and you gave a few there. It's just, if like, there's like maybe one that isn't so like common, right? Like it was one Mm -hmm. that you never, you don't really think of as like, oh, I want to have a mentor in that, but it really like left an impact on you. Yeah. I think probably the one that stands out, well, I might have to keep that stand out on this one, but I think of Lucy because that was someone who ended up modeling for me what I wanted, not just having a coffee date with me. Kind of like what you're saying. You start looking around and you're like, I really like how they do that aspect of their life. I'm just going to watch. And so I also think it's a really nice illustration of those divine moments in life where you are exactly where you need to be to learn something in an unexpected way. So with Lucy, I was their nanny. I was not a mentee she got coffee with, you know, I, there was no formal mentoring relationship, but I took this job as a nanny in college and one of my friends had passed along the job to me. And so you don't go into a nannying job thinking this is going to be life-changing. You're like, this is temporary. This will pay for my life outside of work. And I can do my homework while I nanny and go have fun with my friends after and always be off by six. And so I was not taking that job, expecting to learn life lessons. I was just taking a job. But when I got up close and personal in their life, I was like, whoa, they do life really well. Like she is crushing it in her career and a really present mother, wife, and friend. And I was getting a lot of messages of, 
you choose one or the other, like your career or your family, like you can't have both. And I was like, well, men don't have to choose. Why do I have to choose? You know, I am raised by a feminist. And so, you know, I was looking around and I'm like, I kind of have some questions about that because we don't tell men that. And people weren't overtly telling me that, but like, that was kind of what I was picking up on when I looked around. And so I, I, I got to nanny for Lucy and Warren for five years and just watch how they did life and ask questions. And we'd sit around the counter and talk for 20 minutes after, and they know what's going on in my life. And I could ask them for their input on big, big milestones. And I just gleaned so much through having a front row seat in their life for those years. And that was such an unexpected format for mentoring because I was just taking a job, you know, but I learned so much. And I learned that if you lean into the, to the areas of life, you find yourself in that maybe weren't expected, weren't where you expected to be, you might just learn something that's life-changing there. And so that was very much the case with Lucy. And then I'll, I'll quickly tell my story with Linnell, which I'm sure, because I know you've dug in to the beginning and Linnell's chapter one, Linnell was my best friend's mom. And the big kicker there is before her daughter and I chose each other as best friends in preschool. She was engaged to my dad before they all went their separate ways. And, you know, she ended up marrying her husband and my, my dad ended up marrying my mom and how inconvenient that we became best friends. Yet she still chose to not withhold love from me. And she loved me very sacrificially. And it's probably, you know, out of all my friends, parents, the most involved in my life, I mean, now, now she knows she's like a life mentor. So she's like real involved, but I mean, for, for me, that's so unexpected in the sense that she did not have to show up for me or foster that friendship at all. Like that was really sacrificial. I would, you know, prefer to not do weekend drop-offs and sleepovers with my ex-boyfriend's children, you know? And so, um, I just, think of her as being so unique because she chose to invest when she didn't have to. Yeah. And I think those are two good examples because it's like in the first one, it was unintentional, right? Like they didn't even, Lucy, like they didn't even realize what they were providing for you. And in the second one, you know, like with Linnell, it was like, as you said, like she chose, like, like it was a choice for her of like, I could just, you know, make sure this friendship does not happen. I could cut this in the bud and it'd be over. But like, you kind of choose to let it go. She let you guys like foster the friendship. And then, you know, like I I know like things that happen along the way, but it's just like beautiful how many ways you can show up and kind of going off of this because there was a moment there, you know, when you said you're asking, you know, like it with the relationship with Lucy and Warren, it allowed you to be able to ask questions, right? And like, be the curious mind that we all have inside. And going off of that, I think an important part of any sort of like transformation, any sort of mentorship, working on yourself, working on your business is being okay with asking for help, right? And that is something that I know it's, you know, the stereotype of like women have a struggle asking for help. And yes, that's true, but I see it in all humanity. My dad is the worst at asking for help. You know, he is so stubborn minded, however it be that he will not ask for help. Brothers the same way, right? Like it, it doesn't have a basic gender or, you know, orientation that it goes with, but overall, like, why do you think that we as humans, and this isn't everyone, but like, there's this there's this issue struggle that a lot of us do face of being able to ask for help. 
and that admittance of, I need help. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's woven into the DNA of our culture. We are like a more individualistic society than most other nations. I'm talking Western nations too. Like if you look at European countries, um, African countries, South American countries, Asian countries, there's, there's so many cultures that are much more community driven than us. And maybe because it's a melting pot and everyone was leaving their country to come here with just their family. They didn't have friends, you know, to, to do life with. We've built in this kind of DNA to our culture that's really individualistic. And so I think asking for help is a learned trait. It's not a natural instinct just because of where we live. And I would assume most of your listeners are from the U.S. too. And so I think too, it's learning what you have the hardest time asking for help in because I don't have a hard time asking for help with input. So mentorship has been easy for me, but asking for help in implementation has been really hard. I have this messaging, like no one will ever help me. I've got to do it on my own. It's all on me. And it's like, no, I've had to work through that mindset. And sometimes it's been brutal to ask for help. But when you practice, like, just like we talked about earlier, it's like a muscle that grows and it becomes easier to let people in over time, but it is vulnerable feeling. It is very vulnerable to, yeah, to ask for help, whether that's in business or a struggle you're going through, right? Like in relationships or with mental health or physical health. And um, I think that is curious. So I hadn't thought of it that way where there are different aspects, right? Of like where we feel comfortable asking for help. Um, versus others. And even now, like, that's something I feel like I want to go journal on (laughs) because it's so true. Like there are moments where I'm, you know, it's like right away, I know I can't do this. I'm asking for help. And then there are other things where it's like, I've gone years before I finally admitted I need help with, you know, this physical health issue, or I need help with my anxiety, right? Like the difference between, you know, instantaneous I need your help with this versus the year long struggles of certain aspects we go through. Like, yeah. What a difference. And I'm curious to like, just your opinion on this. Like, do you think it ties at all in with like knowing our worth, right? Like knowing I am worthy of the time, the help, the assistance of another. Oh yes. And also maybe cultural messages of don't ask too much. Don't be too much, be smaller. Um, no one's sitting there telling you to be small, but they are telling you to be too, don't be too much, which essentially is play small, you know? And so I haven't ever had someone look at me and be like, be smaller, Kelsey, don't be such a big personality, but they have said, Whoa, you're a lot. And so I think for me asking for help, especially with health, That is the one area, like I'll ask for help with advice. I won't ask for help with implementation or until it's like really brutal, but health, sometimes I just adapt and don't even think help is an option for like years before I realize, like, oh, this is a problem. I should ask for help. And so I, I, I think it's not wanting to be a burden to people, not wanting to overwhelm them, not wanting to dump my problems on them because I have some sort of core belief in there of don't be too much, but that's not true, but that's probably the stroke. That's probably the mindset work I have to do. <laughs> oh, that is so true. And I, yeah, as you were saying that I was just resonating on a soul level. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is funny because it's, it's true. Like we don't have the messaging of, you know, be small and all that stuff, but it's, it's just what we take in. Right. And it's like the everyday messaging we get. And 
I mean, a big aspect of this show is when it comes to the health side of things, uh, you know, just like eating disorder recovery, recovery in general, diet culture, like dismantling it, understanding it. And I mean, you look at it even in that sense, right? Like how many of us have been told for so many years in our life that smaller is better, right? When it comes to body. So there's like one example of deep, deep, deep messaging we've been getting for most of our life to be small in a physical sense. And that's not even taking into account or exploring all the everyday mental and emotional ways that we're receiving messaging of, yeah, you're too much, tone it down. You're overwhelming me. You're being a burden. You're being a hassle. And I don't know. I just think when you have that type of messaging in your mind, even if you don't know it's there, you know, even if it's on that subconscious level to have that playing in almost like a loop, like how, I don't know. I just feel like that can hold you back in so many ways, you know? Oh, it's, it is, it is something that I consistently have to work through. And I think that right now I'm in a season of starting to notice the environments I feel it more in and then protecting myself because I have friends that I feel totally free, untethered, like my fullest self, never insecure. And then I'm starting because I've done that work there and know what it feels like to feel good. I have started to be very sensitive to like, Oh, I haven't been in feeling insecure in like three weeks. And I walk in this room and I feel bad. What is happening? Why do I feel this way in this room, in this environment? Is it, is someone triggering me? Like, what's my work to do here? I'm not going to blame it only on the environment, but I am going to be aware. And it's been really interesting to observe like where it's like more prominent than others. Yeah. And something you just said there, I think is important to take into account of this is that that feeling of being triggered, right? It's something I've started to learn over time where it's, if something or someone is triggering me, the instinct on my end, at least, and I'm sure others can relate is to automatically think it's almost like their fault or this thing's fault. But in reality, like when you're feeling that trigger, it is a sign to look at why you are being triggered, right? Like Mm -hmm. what inside you is causing that. And I think what you said there about like walking into a room or with people, et cetera, and feeling that bit of like a trigger, you know, like a little alarm in your head of like, something's weird here. Like that can be so, you know, so important to take in and think about and ponder on. And I think it is true. Like what you were saying there, where when you start to feel something as good, right? Like when you start to feel good in your body from a health thing, and when you start to feel good mentally, because, you know, the anxiety or the brain fog is fading out, any of these ways that you start to feel good in your business, etc., you start to then notice when you don't feel as good. And I think that and understanding what's triggering you is just like huge and key to growth in so many aspects. Yeah, like really being aware, like like we were talking about earlier, it, we can go years with our health before we actually do something about it or acknowledge it. I tend to just like adapt and soldier on and then it's like, oh wait, I don't have to live like that. And so I think like you said, being in tune, because once you know what it feels like to feel good, you're a little less tolerant for feeling bad and you take action more quickly than like going years before you take action on round two, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, And I guess, you know, just sort of tying this all back to your book and yeah, I guess just in the process of writing and creating what they taught me and just all the work that goes into that, 
you know, we've been talking about a lot of life lessons here and things to be aware of and take into account. Like in this journey of writing a book, which is something I so, so hope to do someday, like what, what did that teach you, right? Like you're, you're talking in this book, you're writing about lessons learned, mentorship, everything like that. But what did this book itself, like this process teach you? Oh, well, you're talking about some soul work. I'm currently in girl. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's opened up a layer of vulnerability. I've really realized in like the last two weeks, because I've been working on it for three years, but it's only been like front facing for like a month, you know, it's mm-hmm. all been behind the scenes. So um, certainly in the behind the scenes work, it was fun to learn, to reflect and to actually tease out what were the actual lessons these women taught me? Cause at first it was just loose. Like, Oh, I know these people were impactful in my life. And then once I started getting it on paper, I'm like, Oh wow, these are the tangible lessons they taught me. That was fun and like effortless, you know, and not painful, (laughs) which I love to stay in a non-painful lane, but that's not life. And then, you know, then it shifted into, okay, like that's all on paper. That was exciting to walk through. Sometimes hard to be disciplined enough to write that day. But what I think has been more stretching has been this last month where it's like, oh, it's, it's about to be out in the world. I have to share about it. And that feels really vulnerable. All the work I've ever done, I've been able to hide behind. It's either been services for my clients. It's been a podcast interview, never a solo cast. So I could always like, it's about the guest. It's not about me. Um, It's been summits featuring people and their expertise, not about me. It's been uh, retreats. Again, it's about the client, not me. And so, yeah, the book is about serving the readers with lessons and empowering them to go look around their own life for people who could teach them but it's my stories and putting them out in the world has been super vulnerable and I've I've had to stop hiding I've had to show up more than I ever have and that has felt very vulnerable I can't even tell you the amount of times I've asked my husband in the season do you think I'm a weirdo like maybe I'm just a weirdo for writing about these stories maybe these women think I'm a stage five clinker am I I stage five clinger. And he's like, no, you're just psychoanalyzing it. And so I think it's brought up a lot of that, like vulnerable, like feeling exposed side. And it's like, I'm in it. Like I, I have to answer to my publisher. I can't just fizzle out and hide and quit in the middle of this. And so I think that's been stretching for me because I will say too, in previous launches where I've had to do something that promotes my business, for instance, I have fizzled out and just started hiding about midway through because I only had to answer to myself. And it's like, I'm tired. I think I'm going to stop. I don't want to feel like this, but I can't right now. And I think that's been really good for me. And so it stretched me in a way I didn't know was possible. And I think that's been good, but hard, but good. (laughs) Oh yes. Going out of the comfort zone is never, (laughs) it's never fun or easy at first, but the aftermath and what comes from it. Yes, exactly. I feel a lot more confident, you know, after Mm -hmm. putting myself out there, I read my first mediocre review and I was like, Ooh, that leveled me that day. Um, and I called a few friends and asked them how they dealt with it. And they're like, Kelsey, here's the deal. Most people don't take the time to go leave a positive review. They only review something if it's negative. And I'm like, okay, you're right. Okay. You're right. They're like, they're like, think about it. 
I, you don't even go read reviews most of the time. And then I went and there were some positive ones too, but of course you remember the, the mediocre negative one over the positive. So it's been stretching, lots of identity work happening over here. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. And it's identity work is quite the journey. <laughs> I know it's funny what you said there about like the first time I started doing solo casts and solo episodes. Oh my gosh. The moment I knew it was out in the world, I had no desire to be on Instagram that day because I'm like, I don't want anyone to acknowledge the fact of what I just shared. Like forget about me. (laughs) And, and same thing, like of all the positive reviews this podcast has gotten the one negative, like the one time I read it, I like, I had a little meltdown and I'm like, Emily, you know, it took some time, but I'm like, okay, same thing. I had friends reminding me of the same thing about reviews. And I'm like, okay, true. This is true. So it's just, it's funny how many ways that shows up in life. Right. And, um, but yeah, I can only imagine with a book it is. Yeah. It is like a whole different, whole different avenue. Well, and it's, it's like people who create impact are not going to get out of this world without criticism. So it's like, who would I rather be? You know, I think it's the Brene, the, well, it's Theodore Roosevelt, but Brene, Brene has really publicized his quote, but the man in the arena quote of, man, it, you only have a right to be critical if you're willing to get in the arena yourself and take the punches. And often it's the people in the bleachers that are the most critical, but they're not in the arena taking the punches, but I, I wouldn't trade it for that. I'd rather be in the arena. I don't want, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. So, okay, that's going to come with some criticism and it's really painful, but I'll take that side of the equation any day over not using my voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's a choice. And once you make it, you know, you make it and here we go. You go, (laughs) you're in the arena. (laughs) Well, I have just had such a joy talking with you and so much to consider and think about myself. I'm sure the everyone listening is feeling very similarly. So if they want to learn more, follow along, check out the book, everything you're doing, where can they find you connect, learn more and go about it? Yeah. Um, you can find me over at Kels Chapman on Instagram, KelseyChapman.com. Those are the two places the party is happening. So would love to have you in my crew. <laughs> Nick of the woods. Yes. And when, <laughs> yes, yes. Perfect.